Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Movie, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For a free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me doing their nails today, we have Bill Graham. Woo! We also have Michael Snydell. Uh, you're the only one who can get my tits popping. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Why would you say that to me? You absolute bastard. Because it's a great <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, and joining us later in the episode from different places, it's going to be Jeffrey McHale, the director of our feature film today. And that is You Don't Know Me, a documentary about the uh, release and uh, critical reception. It's, it's, it's basically like a rise-fall story on uh, the movie Showgirls, which Michael Snydell so helpfully <laughs> quoted for us. Oh boy. So that's going to be a great conversation. Looking forward to it. Hope you all listen and enjoy and uh, watch You Don't Know Me when it comes out on June 9th. Uh, before we get into that, the usual stuff. Find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Email us, podcastfilmstage.com. And as always, give us a comment and rating on iTunes to help people uh, know how great we are and to find the show. In addition, you can go to patreon.com slash show for as little as $1 an episode. You become a patron of our work. You can help us create more episodes of this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, for everything from classic episodes to our feature reviews, it's all thanks to our patrons. So if you would like to become one and become part of our Slack channel and get first crack at all of our raffles, go to patreon, patreon.com slash show. We are also brought to you by Mubi, the curated online streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe every day movie premieres a new film whether it's a timeless classic a cult favorite or an acclaimed masterpiece it's guaranteed to be their movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before and there will always be something new to discover with movie each and every film is hand selected not by an algorithm by actual people so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch and instead you'll actually be watching something great it's like your own personal film festival, streaming anywhere, anytime. Uh, and with us, you can get a free trial of Mubi for 30 days by going to Mubi.com slash Filmstage. Again, that is M-U-B-I dot com slash Filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. Uh, last week, we talked about movies that had just been recently added to Mubi. Uh, I still have not watched my uh, shameful blind spot. Oops. <laughs> but I am very much looking forward to checking out Metropolis, which is currently on the movie platform. Good movie. Yeah, um, I've heard. I'm looking forward to watching it. <laughs> it's part of their it's part of their uh Weimar Germany uh series. Uh, another one has just been released, The Blue Angel. Um from uh, Joseph von Sternberg and Marlene Dietrich. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some great stuff on there, uh, like classic world films that you may not have checked out. So again, go to mubi.com slash filmstage for your 30-day trial of movie. Uh, before we get into our full review and our interview with the director, Jeffrey McHale, let's do a quick COVID update. How is everyone doing? Let's start with Bill Graham. You're back at work, sort of. At the the gym? Yeah. 
I know that that's mm-hmm. been a whole thing we Back talked about last time. Is that still going well? You're yeah. still alive, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, still, still going well, still alive. Um, yeah, uh, nothing, nothing too big. A, a friend of ours uh, had a a birthday party recently, and uh, her her father uh, was, uh, I guess he. he He's a surgeon of some type, and so he worked on someone that had contracted COVID-19. And uh, when we were given that information, we politely declined uh, the invitation to come over for that birthday party, um, even though we miss those people very, very much. But yeah, it was uh, it was a hard bit of reality where it's like, okay, do I want to take that chance that you know it, everybody didn't dot their eyes and cross their T's and you know, it's a uh, it's a reality we still live in, and uh, it's it's not unreasonable to think that people are still going to be kind of sketchy around that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that's just you know, it's unfortunately how we got to look at things nowadays. It's like, I don't know, what's the, who's the greatest risk factor? <laughs> who's the weak link that I have to worry about? <laughs> Michael mm-hmm. Snydell, what about yourself? How's Chi Town holding up? Uh Chicago's all right. Uh, there's uh, riots going on outside right now. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm continuing to develop agoraphobia. I, I did think about uh, going downtown, but I'm still not in a place where I feel comfortable taking public transits. And uh, yeah, so that you know, I'm constantly having complicated feelings about everything. So that's that's quarantine at the moment. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. I'm so happy for you. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm still on vacation. Um, yeah, the, the I guess so. Like I know it's really it's so it's super weird. Uh, it, like a month ago, I was telling my friend Melissa, like what I need is for someone to kidnap me and force me to relax. Because um, I have a lot of trouble on vacations or anything like getting into the mental headspace to actually calm down and, and relax. And, you know, uh, being a single father in a time of pandemic does not make that any easier. <laughs> so this is actually when my parents were like, we're going to go for two weeks instead of one. I immediately felt a spike of increased anxiety because I was like, oh, I'm going to be gone from my house for two weeks. That's an extra week of some terrible thing to happen to my home. Um, but it's, it's kind of worked out in my favor. I feel like the first week I was here was kind of like easing into it. You know, I was still working uh, from a distance, obviously. Um, but today was like the first official day of like actual work-free vacation. I actually, uh, I kind of enjoyed it. So that's good. Uh, this is starting to feel like me bragging. Um, I apologize. But <laughs> I feel like it maybe is good to know that like there is a possibility at the end of all this that people might be able to have fun again and relax and that things might be good. Um, the trip has actually made me feel a lot less stress about stuff, which is nice, you know, <laughs> not, not having to feel like nothing will ever be okay again. Um, just being able to like spend time with my family and, uh, and, you know, even, even sometimes like talk to other people on the beach like, haven't had a conversation that was not business-related with a stranger in a while. Um, 
and yeah, it's just nice. It's it's been it's been pleasant. So that's my update. Uh, again, if you would like to live vicariously through me, you can find me on social media at Brian J Rowan. There are pictures getting posted to Twitter and Instagram at an obnoxious rate, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if any of you would like to take a punch, you know, feel free right now. Take a swing. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Great. All right. In that case, now that we've given our updates, let us uh, jump into our feature review and interview. Uh, again, that is the film, the new documentary, You Don't Know Me. And uh, we are joined now by director Jeffrey McHale. It, uh, yeah, it's definitely been an intense uh, two weeks, I guess, just back to back to back to back. But, you know, it's good. Everyone's excited about it. So um, I'm excited. It sort of proves the thesis of the documentary that everyone's like, oh, my God, you want to talk about showgirls? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly on, a, on, a, you know. on a personal note, so my sister, I'm on vacation with my family. Um, we were all together oh, at a beach oh, house and Brian. everything. What, Bill? Oh, my. <laughs> well, yes, so I know exactly where this is going. Uh-oh. Well, no, so my sister constantly jokes every time we're on vacation together and I'm about to do a podcast. She's like, can I be on the podcast? And I'm like, I don't know, Lauren. Have you seen this obscure film from, uh-huh. you know, the, <laughs> the Czech Republic? She's like, no. But so today, I'm like, you know, I had to watch this documentary about uh, the, the, the making and then, like, the critical reception and everything of Showgirls. And she flipped her shit she was like i love showgirls and i'm like you've never seen showgirls and then her husband says no she's seen it like 10 times because it's on bravo or e all the time oh funny and that and she she would just started rattling off like and this is my sister cannot remember if she has seen a movie or read a book but she started rattling (laughs) off scenes and was just super excited about the fact that there existed a documentary about showgirls to give her another avenue to think about. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. There are certain people that you and that I feel like that are kind of like no brainers when, you know, if you know, you know, you're like, oh, OK, I just assume that this person has seen showgirls and uh, and we'll get it. But then there's yeah, every once in a while you kind of stumble upon that kind of random person that you would never think like loves the movie and you're like really like that happened with yeah my, my younger cousins you know i was like I, I are we are we really talking about the same movie you've seen this like she's like no i love it and i was like okay great yeah because i did the whole like are you meant striptease or flash yeah. like, you know, no she really meant showgirls and it was kind of incredible you meant dream girls right <laughs> no striptease <laughs> So to that oh to that end, I guess you know to to kind of kick us off, like what what was your first time watching Showgirls? Like what was that experience like? I was in Chicago. It was about uh, ten years after it had first come out, so it was definitely late. Um, I was living in Chicago at the time, going to film school, and. Um, I was just hanging out with a, a friend one night in his apartment, and I, uh, Showgirls came up, and he was very offended that I haven't hadn't seen it, and so he walked over to his DVD shelf, popped it off the wall, and 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 put it in the in the DVD player, and you know, just instantaneously, my mind was just blown. You know, it was like, I think I had a very similar experience uh, that a lot of the people who I spoke with for the movie had where it's just like, and I'm sure everybody like the first 
five minutes, you're just, your mind is blown. And you're like, is this the movie? The whole movie's going to be like this. Like, or, <laughs> like she changes the radio station with a switchblade knife. And, you know, I am just uh, along for the ride. So I, I'm, I had been a fan ever since. Yeah, I think I think she yells at at three different people within those first five minutes. Yeah, so. it's uh, yeah, and then there's a car, two car crashes, vomiting. Uh, she, you know, fortune won, fortune lost. There's, I mean, those first five minutes are just pure insanity. Yeah, and I, so so Bill, since you just spoke, did, what was your first time watching Showgirls like? Like, did you have a similar? I feel like everyone gets initiated into this movie. <laughs> you're talking about me that, yeah like so what was your first uh, time watching like two days ago oh my god <laughs> whoa so yeah. you're you're like oh, wow. fresh on the first time experience <laughs> absolutely as as fresh as it comes yeah um and wow. so yeah i mean it was it was definitely an interesting experience because i had heard all of these different things about this movie about the fact that it was hot garbage and all of these other kind of takes on it um it's funny you know we had adam Naiman, and so while i was watching the documentary i was just like i recognize that voice and then (laughs) adam Naiman, i was like oh hey i know him Um, yeah he defended domino for us jeffrey (laughs) But, oh, uh, I yeah, that. That so, so yeah. I had, I had heard all of these things about the film and I, I hadn't heard how aggressively bad Nomi's character just kind of seems to be throughout all of this movie. And yet everything that she kind of wants to happen happens to her or mm-hmm. for her. Um, which is surprising because most of the time when you have shithead, uh, people in the mm-hmm. film, they, they often get, you know, they don't get the outcomes that they're searching for. And so she was just, I, I didn't realize how much she was going to be swimming up a Creek and, <laughs> and she does yeah. it the entire film. Yeah. Was what surprised. was it? The David Schmader's line, uh, the baffling charisma of Nomi Malone, you know, and that <laughs> is just perfect. You know, everybody just kind of wants to bend over backwards for, you know, to help her pursue her dreams. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like if there was a porcupine that people just couldn't help but want to cuddle, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> Exactly. And, and not even touch like the right way, not with the quills. No, everybody's nope. petting it against Full on bear the quills. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Bill, you watched it two days ago. That's insanity. Michael Snydell, what about yourself? What was your first time at this movie like? Oh, I, I have a deep, deep love for this movie. So I've been extremely excited that we've been talking about this. So I, I came to this um, early high school. Um, and, uh, kind of my main friend group were, were kind of obsessed with it even by the first time I watched it with them, which was like sophomore year of high school. And they definitely had a, um, you know, like. Uh, like something more akin to a relationship like the room with it at first, but it was also something that we found to be such an amazing object. Like, I, I mean, like I can't tell you how many times my friends have said, I got towels. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have heard that so many times, but what I'll say is, 
in the 15 years since then, I've either lost my mind or seen the light and think this is like almost a brilliant movie. (laughs) I've also, um, I, I am also like a huge defender of Verhoeven, uh, Elle from a few years ago was mm. uh, my favorite movie of that year. Um, all of the American films besides maybe Hollow Man, I'm, I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, when Adam and, um, you know, when Adam and uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Scott's, is that how you say it? Yeah. 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 But but when they started kind of talking about it in a framework through um, through his American films, I'm like, oh, I'm in good hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it's a film that for me, I, I just kind of love the fact that as they kind of mentioned, this is an entire film without subtext. Like it is unabashedly all about Eve. It's unabashedly, you know like this backstage sleazy musical mm-hmm. that's also like I I've seen this so many times but I somehow forget every time how vicious it is mm-hmm. like this is a nasty movie mm-hmm. towards its characters um but yeah I I I have like a deep affection for this movie and um what watching this it was really fascinating cuz I hadn't really dug into what Verhoeven has said about this. So there, there's definitely an odd dissonance that you get here. You know, in, in the documentary, you have Kyle McLaughlin saying, this was meant to be hard drama. You have Berkeley, you know, changing the narrative a little bit. You have Verhoeven and this bizarre book companion that I want really badly now. <laughs> oh, oh god yeah it's you gotta check it out I think you can buy find it on eBay <laughs> that's when you know uh, you're, yeah. you're in good hands with the movie is when the director is like preemptively maybe I should put out a <laughs> companion book so that I can be sure that people get what I'm doing here <laughs> <laughs> well I was also yeah time yeah around the time that you know madonna's sex book was coming out so i mean it, it, it would kind of fit into what you know these coffee table books that you know were uh what people were were doing at the time so it kind of it, it made sense you know yeah. um to have have this kind of companion piece uh for the film and then just kind of knowing and, and getting to kind of read you know verhoven's take on on you know the process and he goes a little bit into his you know his history, his you know, his work in the Netherlands. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a fascinating read. So if you're really interested in in kind of getting in his mindset, definitely check out Portrait of a Film. There's um there's an excellent episode of Documentary Now um, called like a Live Cast Recording Co-op, and there's a line from one of the fake songs in that that says, "The right erotic art means I'm sexual but smart," <laughs> and that's what I think of <laughs> constantly when I think of like. The Madonna's sex book, and now when I think of uh, the Showgirls uh, book that Verhoeven did, which is, so for me, Showgirls for me was, I was doing a different podcast at the time, it was called Movie Dare, and our listeners would dare us to watch movies for whatever reason, and then like vote on it, and one of them was Showgirls, and I'd never seen it before, because I was like, why would I do that? (laughs) And it's it's almost funny because like afterwards I was like I want to talk about this movie endlessly but I don't want to listen to anyone talk about this movie because I feel like like at the time I was like when you've seen it 
no one else can tell you what you just experienced. It's almost like the Matrix in that way. Like when when Morpheus is describing the Matrix, like no one can tell you what the Matrix is. You yeah. just have it's to easier see if it. I show you. Yeah. And so it was. It was. It, that was my initial reaction. Since then, I've come to be more willing to like reach out and be like okay what what did other people think of this because at the at the four you're just kind of like this is an insane thing that i have seen and like luckily this 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 movie that you've made this documentary i actually found the way that you edited the different um ideas that people had and kind of the different theses of the different speakers to be edifying and challenging just like on its own, just the way that you you like juxtaposed what certain people were saying and put differing views against each other, and then the fact that it's about showgirls just makes it that much better. So I'm curious, like, what was your what was your process for like finding the right people and and then you know in the edit like finding the best way to to tell this because it's almost like an embarrassment of riches, I have to imagine. I mean, definitely, I. You know, I, I when I started this, it was, you know, I didn't set out to, you know, it wasn't like, okay, like, here's a documentary, like, I'm going to make a documentary about showgirls. It, it was mostly, um, I started to just try to figure out my own curiosity and try to dive a little bit deeper about why this thing, this strange movie, like still, you know, kind of draws people like myself in. It's like, you know, huge within the gay community. And, you know, we it's just like part of our, our lexicon. And, and, and I just wanted to kind of get a better understanding of it. So I just started reading everything that had been written about it. And, um, you know, it, it's not hard to find because there isn't much, um, you know, there's Adam Naiman's book, there's David Schmader's commentary track. Um, Jeffrey Conway wrote a book of poems. Uh, there was some musical. So I, I just through kind of scouring the internet and then trying to, to dig up all the initial reviews, you know, like that's where I kind of started. And then once I reached out to everybody, they were all very excited, obviously to talk about showgirls because they have, I felt like that they had, um, you know, shape the conversation around it for the last 20, 25 years. And so I didn't want to make, uh, you know, kind of like the traditional behind the scenes making of, you know, I was inspired by, I was really inspired by like rooms, movies like Room 237 and Los Angeles plays itself. And, and mm. I'm, um, I'm a television editor by, by day by trade and i thought that this was kind of the perfect kind of exploration project i guess you know something that i could i could work on on my own free time on evenings weekends uh from my kitchen table laptop and not have any sort of you know uh expectations or you know it was mostly just like let me figure out and see what's here and so i um i sent we didn't shoot a frame of video for this i sent audio uh, audio recording kit you know through fedex to each contributor and we logged on to skype kind of like how we're talking now and i kind of helped talk them through micing themselves up and you know we chatted about showgirls for about 90 minutes two hours with each person and i had like with each person I, I obviously base the interview around you know their own existing work around you know their own theories their own writing so i focused it on you know what they were going to bring to to the film and so it was kind of each one kind of had their own kind of personalized conversation and from there i started editing each thread individually you know and so i had these you know 20 to 15 
threads, I guess you could say vignettes. Um, and then from there, I kind of started trying to figure out the best approach to it because there's a lot that kind of needs to happen for something like this that isn't kind of your straightforward uh, making of, you know. So the, the editing was definitely a challenge. But um, but once the, the, the funny part was, you know, once I started watching all of Verhoeven's earlier works, then everything kind of felt like it started connecting because all these strange little visual cues and mo- motifs were, were connecting back to showgirls. And, and to me, as you know, I, I'm only as American, you know, I'm only familiar. I was only familiar with his the blockbusters, you know, Starship Troopers, Robocop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, those those films. And so when I saw all of the the early work, I was like, oh, my God, like, here are all these <laughs> strange things that like that, that, that we, you know, I've never seen before in a film and, you know, that that stand out that are uniquely showgirls. And, and here they are kind of connecting back to, you know, his early work. And so I just wanted to, that was, you know, when I you know, kind of started to play around visually, like, okay, like I can tell this story in this, this other layer too, you know? I'm very glad that you brought up that room 237 was a uh, kind of an influence on this because I mentioned that in the Slack channel that we have, you know, to set up the show and Michael Snydell, <laughs> I don't think, I don't know if you fully understood what I was talking about, but I feel vindicated um, because I well, definitely good. felt that. And I kind of love that. Like, there's something very like pure and interesting about kind of just letting letting people talk and seeing images from films, you know, mm-hmm. specifically the subject, but especially in this case, your your ability to kind of montage similar moments from every other Verhoeven mm-hmm. film to show I, the through line. Yeah, and like I mean, I love Room Two Three Seven, um, but I, yeah, so I liked that kind of format i guess you could say but i thought it would be interesting to kind of tackle something that isn't that is still controversial that you know doesn't have a like a you know isn't unanimously agreed as you know a masterpiece and kind of hear uh everybody's opinions and butt them up next to each other and have you know this kind of honest conversation about this complicated film i actually um met with the director of uh, Rodney Asher uh, for coffee after I finished all the interviews and before I, I started editing and just like, mm. sent him an email. Um, Adam Naiman actually connected us. He was like, oh, I can connect you with Rodney. And um, so we met for coffee one afternoon and I just kind of wanted to pick his brain and just figure out like I, how you know, what, what's the best way to kind of approach this? Cause I knew there would be a lot of like legal issues that would come up and, and he's like, basically the one takeaway I walked away with was he was like, make your movie, like make the movie the way you, you want. And then after you're done, then that's when you kind of bring in, you know, the lawyers and start, you know, um, finessing things from their end. So that was incredibly helpful that I, that I, I was like, okay, here, like I can just, do my thing and 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 start working and then you know after we started uh submitting to festivals and we got you know into tribeca um that's when you know after we already had a cut that was like accepted and approved that's when you know the lawyer conversation started (laughs) um so which was a lot of fun but um but uh but yeah so it, it was it was incredibly helpful and you know i'm a huge fan of his work I, I was curious too. I mean, just to speak of, I don't I want to get into legalese or anything like that. But in, in the case of a lot of those Dutch films, 
um, they're not super easy to to get anymore. I, I, I mean, is, does that make it more difficult that those, uh, you know, have all kinds of rights issues? Or is it the Hollywood films that cause it's the most problems in that not, case? You know, surprisingly, it's it's they're all kind of they all kind of have the same. Once you're dealing with fair use, I guess none of it really matters about like kind of who owns it. It's just whether it you can make the argument and they can make the argument that it's connected and you need it to tell your story. And that, I mean, the, the main, I guess the main thesis, the main premise is, you know, Showgirls is uniquely for Hoven. It's, 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 it's connected to all of his work and that, you know, I bet that's like my visual, you know, argument for it. And so there were some, some areas where, you know, I had to explain things and, you know, I mean, it, it was an incredibly tedious process because each <laughs> shot has to, has to be, uh, code like every i had a, a spreadsheet with like almost a thousand different uh line items for each every single in the film and every time we changed it you know uh, who owns it what description of it and everything had to be green by the end before they could sign off on it. <laughs> oh my so God. yeah it was it was it was crazy but it, it you know it I, in some ways, I think it all ultimately helped, you know, in some areas too, just because, you know, if, if the lawyers are kind of pushing back on certain scenes or certain, you know, moments or arguments, you know, it just, it just kind of helps you to have someone be like, this needs to be a little bit stronger, you know, in order to use these visually. And, you know, I think ultimately it probably helps audience too, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an, it, almost an interesting thing to have because, you know, uh, if you've ever been to a festival screening, someone will stand up at the end during the Q&A and say, now why was her dress red? And so this is a case where if someone asks, now why did you show this? You have like a full on legal document. Oh yeah, <laughs> to prove your work. Yeah, line. You know, yeah. one thing. One thing. I, one thing I appreciated a lot, Jeffrey, was the fact that like you inserted something like Sharknado and talked about how you know amidst all of this kind of re reimagining of the purpose of this film right that it was it was meant to be campy that it was meant to do all these things you mentioned that it seems like to my knowledge at least um limited as it may be that no one has successfully created a cult film on purpose right mm -hmm. everyone's mm -hmm. everyone's gone into these films with a sincere desire to make a movie that that would stand the test of time and you know is serious work and so i i wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about you know how important that argument was for you to kind of make and and put out there because so many times you think oh it, it should be super easy to make a cult movie and it's like mm -hmm. no mm -hmm. like all of these people tried to just make a regular movie and it turned into you know dog shit and then it was afterwards that a lot of people kind of re recontextualize some of the things that are happening or you know just look look at it from a different lens right yeah definitely i mean it is one of those things that when you i i think that that is why a lot of us are you know kind of like you said like initiation you know with films like this it's like you, you might not have known about it or or you know it's it's until somebody tells you or it's you know like true camp is discovered you know mm -hmm. and, and i think that you know you have films like 
Sharknado, which Jeffrey Scott's kind of uh, brings up. And, you know, there's this and, and that's like I feel like a more recent trend, you know, because mm-hmm. um, he also kind of draws parallels to like Plan 9 from Outer Space is, you know, kind of one of the early kind of cult, like so bad that it's good films. But um, but yeah, you know, it, it is one of those things that once you're in the presence of, you know, what what Susan Sontag described as failed seriousness, you know, kind of true camp, then, you know, that's something that can, you know, I mean, it, it, it cannot be created on purpose by like, I feel like by definition. So um, showgirls, it definitely falls in, into that, that category. And, you know, you get asked, I get asked a lot, like, oh, is, is it, you know, is camp filmed over? Or are we done with them? Or you know, mm-hmm. can they exist anymore? And it's like, no, no, they can definitely exist. But, you know, it, it, it's just, you, you can't, yeah, if you're setting out, you know, if the goal is to make a camp or cult film, like you said, like you will fail. Like it, it's not going to have the same uh, appeal, the same, you know, the same. Uh, it, it, it's just like this feeling that you get. I don't know how you describe it. I mean, very similarly to the room, I think, you know, there's the the response to that, I think, has been closest to the you know the afterlife of showgirls even though like you cannot really kind of compare the the actual films themselves i mean the productions were completely different but you know i think the end result is is very similar Mm -hmm. there was um to that end i the last time i really remember seeing a a film discussed as a possible like new camp classic was um darren aronofsky's black swan Um, in fact, I was able to find on Slate.com the, the, the December 29th, 2010 article, apparently posted at 3.17 p.m. Um, by Dennis Lim. And it says, uh, Dirty Dancing is Black Swan, Darren Aronofsky's tawdry new, filler, uh, new thriller, A Work of Camp. And it was one of those things I remember people talking about it and it was just like, well, will it be? Like, is it going to be the thing? And the answer always seemed to be, no, it was too well received and too well respected. It can't be, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like it, it just, funny. it succeeded too much on its own terms. We can't like yeah. reclaim it because it just is what it is now. Yeah. Did well, you, I, yeah. Did, did, I, 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 go ahead. I, I think, I think the newest one probably is going to be Jupiter Ascending if it wasn't so long, maybe. <laughs> or Serenity. Yeah. Serenity <laughs> as well. What were you yeah. going to, what were you going to say, Jeffrey? Yeah, no, no. It was funny you mentioned uh, Black Swan. I don't know if you guys saw that, uh, but right before Black Swan came out, I did a, a mashup with Showgirls and Black Swan with the trailer, um, and so that was like kind of my first dipping my my toes in, in, in the Showgirls uh, pool, uh, I guess you could say. Um, but that, but you know, it was funny because that it was right before Black Swan came out, and you know, people were making all those kind of mashups, and I thought like, oh, like as soon as the idea popped into my head, I was like, oh, I think that looks fun. I want to let me think about what what I could what I could pair together, and and you know, there was a lot of hype uh, for Black Swan, and um, I was like, oh, well, here, I mean, duh, it's Showgirls, and it just it it works so perfectly. Um, it got you know posted on a couple sites and stuff like that, and then and then people started. You know, you know, I saw a bunch of articles like like you mentioned about, um, you know, is this is this camp? Is this that? But um, I yeah, I, I think that I agree. I think that I mean, wasn't it? It was nominated for Best Picture that year, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. 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 And um, I have found your uh, Showgirls Black Swan trailer mashup on <laughs> Vimeo. Yes, that's where you can find it. <laughs> uh, we will be um, including a link to that when we uh, put this out. <laughs> yes. First, the first. Well, uh, Jeffrey, uh, I, I'm really, I'm really fascinated uh, about 
showgirls in a way because in a way I, I see it as a lot less I, I I'm editorializing here and, and I go back and forth on this but I, I see it as a little less malicious than something like the room in the sense that I, I think what is interesting to me about showgirls is you know for instance it's it hasn't been it's been still been contextualized in camp you know instead of you know all about eve and douglas sirk and everything and obviously there are clear times when uh i i at, at Esterhaz, is, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Joe Esterhaz. Uh, that Esterhaz is like, you know, he's taken from a lot of stuff from the past. But it is still really fascinating to me that the certain, you know, the the certain uh, performances and that almost like declarative dialogue, you know, isn't, isn't more regularly linked back to like uh, melodrama. Like just the fact that Mommy Dearest, for instance, or is it Mama? That, anyways, like that it's linked to camp more than melodramas is just kind of. Uh, it, it, it's fascinating to me, and and I am wondering if that is you know the next step in a way, like whether it's you know whether it's totally justified or not. I, I kind of like that for the most part, you kind of do uh, stay away from the camp aspect until a decent amount into the film. Like uh, you know, you have someone like Adam and and Jeffrey like trying to legitimately you know, discuss the formal aspects and, mm-hmm. you know, the possible yeah. intentionality. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And, and I think that was, I, you know, when I first read Adam's book, um, you know, it, it, it's a fascinating read, you know, I like blew through it one, you know, one afternoon and, um, it blew my mind. And I think that that was one of the things that you have to kind of establish early on, you know, that, that, you know, I think people going into it know, you know, that if they haven't seen Showgirls, they're at least aware that it has this following. And, you know, if they haven't tracked its its afterlife, then, you know, that part isn't going to be as as surprising as as hearing, you know, some of these really interesting takes about about it. And then um, what I also then want, you know, wanted to do, I thought I, I wanted to still make sure that we were speaking to voices who uh, could still be, speak critically about it, you know, and so that was one um, one thing that I didn't even really have to do. But um, Barbara Shogaster Parker, you know, she was kind of my dissenting dissenting voice uh, critic, and she before our interview, she went in, she knew who you know I was talking to in in the film, and she went in and watched like a lot of the other people's like you know YouTube Q and A's and stuff like that. And so she, without even kind of prompting her, she kind of pushed back on a lot of those things. And and I just I, I loved kind of pairing you know those those scenes up where you know you can have two you know really smart valid takes on 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 this film because you know it's 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 at the end of the day it's like that's those are the types of, of conversations we we have about movies you know it's not like you know in something like showgirls it it, it, it is one of those unique films where it, it, there isn't a, a definitive take or something that we've all decided like oh okay like this is this is good this is bad um and we're done with it you know showgirls were the reason we're still talking about it is there it is complex it is um it's problematic it's it, it's amazing it's it's hilarious it's all these things and and i think people like you said you know they they love watching it and they love talking about it and debating it you know and i did love did, like the- did you approach esther haas and verhoven then for this and did they decline 
No, no, I didn't reach out to anybody because I, I, I knew that okay. I, I didn't want to make uh, behind the scenes or making of, you know, and sure. the, the way that I, I mean, I don't think that that this format would apply to every film, but I think with something like Showgirls, where, you know, you do have this kind of complicated afterlife, I, I felt like their their kind of job was 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 done in the sense after the movie was over mm-hmm. and it was more about you know the the way the relationship that we have to it and how it's changed over the years and that's why you know speaking to these these contributors you know they've shaped the conversation around showgirls and so um i thought it was interesting to go back and hear what they had to say about it you know when, when it first came out and i wanted to make sure you know to include their voices that way but um but you know i i'm not trying to kind of pin i didn't want to really want to like try to pin people down or be like well what, what, what was your intent or what was this because you know clearly like those 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 the, you know those defenses change over the years and so i you know it i just that wasn't something i was interested in doing hmm. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was going to say, one of the things that I like most about this movie is, is how it um, it kind of highlights the way that, like, someone could be like, oh, this movie is is trash and, like, you know, has all these problems. And then someone else can look at those same aspects and, like, genuinely find not just something good, but something, like, life-changing and positive and real in them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a thing that gets if not overlooked, then at least trivialized a lot. And having that kind of first person narrative perspective adds a lot to, to being able to see those, those differences in opinions and and reads. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's the heart of it, you know, um, I, I, you're probably talking about April Kidwell. Um, Mm -hmm. and I I thought she, she had a, I initially reached out to her because I knew she had a unique relationship with, the you know specifically the role of uh, of Naomi Malone and uh, Elizabeth Berkeley because she played both uh, her for the these off Broadway musicals um, in Saved by the Bell the musical and uh, in Showgirls after that and so I was like oh well here's a perfect person to talk to she's kind of inhibited these both of these roles and, and I would just love to kind of hear her take and you know with within the first kind of 20 minutes of our, our initial conversation, she just kind of like poured her heart and, and soul out. And, and you know, it, it just was, you know, brought me to tears and, you know, it, it's that, that was, you know, definitely one area that I, I wasn't really expecting to, to, to uncover, I guess, you know, within the, the, the voices that I, that I spoke with, but you know, that's, that, that is the heart and soul of it, you know? Did you have an intention to dig into the Saved by the Bell stuff before other people brought it up? Did I – was there an intention to dig into it? Yeah, uh, to dig into Berkeley's uh, past before. Oh, yeah. I mean like I – yeah, I mean I grew up on Saved by the Bell. I mean so that was – that. I mean I was probably still watching Saved by the Bell when Showgirls came out you know, in, in theaters. <laughs> so, sure. you know, and, and I think that that, ha- that is I think part of the – that built that's just an interesting part of like the the allure of it and the fascination was that you know here here you have the you know the first feature project you know out of this you know very successful you know television children's television show is showgirls and, and that i think is is interesting and, and you know a lot of the 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 theories around you know like the characters and the moments you know i i, I didn't i mean i obviously that 
found those in the writing, you know, from the contributors. So, you know, I was drawn to those and, you know, it was definitely something I wanted to explore in the film for sure. You know, it's curious because it seems like this was also Gina Gershon's real big break onto the scene as well. And so it, it is curious how they both ended up kind of taking different directions off of this one film, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she, yeah, I mean, and I think with Gina and with Kyle, they had more uh, under their belt. They had other mm-hmm. film, you know, roles that they could kind of fall back on. I mean, Kyle was in Twin Peaks. And so, I mean, I think when you do stuff like that, you, there is a certain amount of cred that I think that, you know, people might give you a pass. Um, whereas I don't think, you know, Berkeley got the pass and, you know, I, I don't sure. necessarily think that was fair. I mean, you, the, the performance is what the performance is, but the reason that we're, we're talking about showgirls is, you know, the performance and, and it's, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, and I don't think that you, it would have the same effect or the, you know, the last, you know, it, 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 it's why people are drawn to the film. Well, and I, I think it's fair that you also point out that it it ultimately was Verhoeven pushing for that kind of style, right? It wasn't it wasn't a choice by Elizabeth Berkeley to to be so above and beyond in this film necessarily. It was it was driven, you know, Verhoeven at least uh, owns up to the fact that that was that was who was pushing her to act the way that she was, you know. Yeah, and I and I, I respect that he uh, kind of came out and, and said that that was I think that was around the twenty year mark for it. I mean, it would have probably been nicer for for him to kind of own up to it sooner, but you know, hey, better late than never. Um, but yeah, he he came out and said like I if there's anyone to blame, it's me. You know, I I directed her that way. I thought that that would that acting style would work for the film and what I was going for and. You know, it, it obviously didn't didn't work out the way I had envisioned it. So, yeah, I mean, if if you're a director and you're not getting what you want on set, then, you know, it's uh, yeah. So I, I really appreciated his uh, kind of taking taking ownership of it. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the, if there's one thing like, you know, you can imagine anyone else in this role doing these same things and it just it would be weird but it wouldn't be as compulsively watchable, mm-hmm. you know, like I can imagine, you know, just going for like modern era people, you know, like Mila Kunis or something doing that mm-hmm. just to go back to black Swan for, you know, some reason. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then, but like Berkeley just really delivers something crazy special and it's it's Big the thing swings. yes <laughs> and you know i mean we we began by talking about like she's this force of nature that for some reason and it's pointed out in the documentary like people just want to love her and just want to be around her and they can't give her up and it is like i because of how alien her her actions are and her reactions it, you almost can buy that, like, if it, if this were a person who seemed normal, <laughs> I don't think it would go over well when someone's like, do you need a place to stay? Because I'm <laughs> yeah. honestly concerned about you. <laughs> yeah, move in, please. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it uh, you know, in the, the I, I, I'm not 
something for people to, to kind of point out. I mean, it's been written about that, you know, kind of like the parallels between, you know, Nomi herself and kind of, you know, follow similarly to, you know, Berkeley's, uh, you know, kind of storyline where you know this is her first break you know just same with Nomi you know this was you know she, her her goal is to kind of uh to to get on center stage at the, at the stardust and, and here she is you know having this this huge opportunity and, and it didn't work out I think that the way um anyone had hoped and so um yeah I, I also wanted to have uh, make sure we approach that with um, a lot of care and respect and 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 make sure that we did the role and the performance and, and did her justice. And I, I think, think that, one thing think that really comes that, up. Yeah, sorry, Brian. <laughs> Keep interrupting. <laughs> it's fine. I was just I was just uh, saying like that really comes off in this film. And I think that that was one of the like they're walking into this. I was like, there's got to be a couple of things that they have to talk about. And one of them. <laughs> Like I, I like love hearing everything I can about Joel Esterhaus because um, mm. I looked him up and he's like a part of some. I should have looked it up before this, like Bulgarian, like royalty. Like his lineage is really weird. Oh, yeah, he, I think he's Hungarian, right? He's a, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he he has an interesting, an interesting kind of history he was a, was a journalist so he was uh you know he that was where he kind of got his his start was i think he, he's he's back in i think he's in ohio right now he's he kind of stopped screenwriting a long time ago but um but yeah you know i mean he was kind of like the the notorious um what was it the he, he sold the film basically uh concept written on a, on a cocktail napkin, napkin yeah. for yeah for two million dollars <laughs> so one of the highest paid screenwriters in history and and i think that that probably factored into the the reviews and like the disgust of it you know just kind of knowing like how much he was paid and then you know this what this was it this is what we ended up with and so i think that probably factored into the way in which you know critics had a, a kind of a field day with 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 the film right because it was um, that insane period of time where like for some reason screenwriters were getting a lot of money which i don't mm-hmm. think we're doing anymore but like you know <laughs> shane, shane black joe esterhaus was like oh my god this guy's got an idea we're gonna buy it because right. it's gold it's solid gold yeah. <laughs> um I was also glad that the uh, that your documentary didn't flinch away from like really digging into the 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 ending of this movie. You know, I, as yeah. as I was watching it, I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. But if they don't spend like a good twenty minutes talking about the rape that ends this movie, I'm just like gonna lose my mind. And so I was glad mm-hmm. that like it, you know, unflinchingly, everyone is willing to like lean into that and be like, oh yeah, we have to talk about this. Because. Did any of you see the edited version first? I'm just curious because that was my experience, and I only saw the VH1 much later. The VH1 version, like the one that they aired on TV. Uh, there was an on-demand version uh, that I saw that still cut out the rape. Oh wow! I, I'm not, I have no idea what channel it was. Now maybe it was just E on demand or something. I'm, I'm or VH1 on demand, I should say. I'm not sure. Um, oh. No, I the first time I watched this, I, I I got a copy that was like, I don't know, on Amazon Prime or something, you know. But mm-hmm. I had to rent it sure. for money, and it was it was all in there. <laughs> and I've I've heard about the the VH1 version where they like put 
fake clothes. <laughs> yeah, don't. there's like these like floating bras on top of you know the things. Yeah. There's just so much nudity throughout like you can't really cut around it so they just kind of have these weird (laughs) cartoonish um, which i have to imagine is the version that my sister has seen because she was watching a problem or something it had to be (laughs) um i did find it a little weird that uh the person doing repertory screening said that like they would stop the movie and just like skip over that part like that seems that that seems crazy yeah, and it, and he's I mean he says he does get pushback from that. I mean some people uh there're showgirls purists out there who say you you have to kind of experience it all, you know, if you're going to if you're going to watch showgirls, but I mean he's been doing this for he's been uh touring with the film, you know, for the last 25 years. I mean it, it, it in and I'm he the way he starts, I mean he basically gives kind of has a six minute speech you know that he'll he'll talk you know kind of introduce the film to the his audience and then he'll stop it along the way so um and i think with that he just skips over the rape scene he tell i mean he tells the audience what they're about to see and 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 says why they're going to skip over it but you know i think he 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 thinks it's, it's gratuitous and and um and we don't need to see it to in order to kind of in, in, enjoy the film um or it's not something he wants to to, to focus on but you know yeah it, it, that's one of the major you know issues that i think everybody has with the film right because you have this one character who is like a good person and then for yeah. seemingly oh. no reason the movie just you know destroys her and it's 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 really yeah. one of the things that that made me the most like repelled but also interested in the movie is that like like yes. as I was watching that, I thought, like, what right does this movie have to suddenly pull this bullshit on me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it just was interesting to me because it's it almost seems like by cutting that out, you might be like attempting to make the movie something that is explicitly not. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if you have an opinion about that or if you don't even want to share. But like, you know, like when you first saw the movie, like, what was your reaction? to that and like you know in in making this did you like absolutely know that it had to be a part of your documentary to talk about it well yeah and i mean especially since i had watched all of his other films and just the surprising repetition that that is a theme that i mean i'm not exaggerating it's almost in every one of his films that there is some moment of of sexual violence and so uh that was surprising to me and so it i it makes sense i mean that that he he made that decision for this film you know based on you know what what he you know him as a filmmaker and so i wanted to explore that and i felt like you know you have you have to have a conversation about that because that's those are the conversations that we're having now and um and one of the things i really <laughs> appreciated uh about that that scene that moment um was afterwards where you know there i think that the kind of the prevailing wisdom is you know nomi's big uh revenge sequence is is meant to be empowering and that's how certainly i viewed it for you know uh since i've you know been a fan of the film and then i think that's how most audiences kind of take it and like oh here's this great moment but i found it so refreshing to hear uh Haley talk about like oh well this is actually just another uh case of you know 
just showcasing how you know there is no justice you know if 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 a woman's you know resorting to dealing out more pain and more violence and resorting to violence um then it just proves that there are no systems of justice in order to you know for her to uh to get you know quote revenge and so um yeah i i just was really 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 uh responded to that and i wanted to to to, to make light of that because i because to, to showcase that you know um, because that's that's true you know we're still i mean we're there are massive protests going on this weekend i mean their justice is something that you know we we don't have for all in this country and i think it's interesting to show how uh you know quote justice is portrayed in films I think it's something interesting too. What dawned on me this time is that it maybe if this was earlier, it might make more sense, and and then it would fall into more of like a rape revenge uh, mm-hmm. film framework. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what's especially strange about this is this is in like the last fifteen minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. It is, like yeah. it's uh, it, it is. I mean, it's not an afterthought. Like that's it, it's still treated as you know a big moment in the film, but there. There is something I think extra. I mean, as as uh, Brian and you have both mentioned, like there's something extra cruel mm-hmm. about its place in the film after we've seen over and over, like you know, this you know, if someone gets in your way, step on them mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Verhoeven said, I mean, in, in his book of essays, I think his his defense of, the, of that scene was. If, uh, you know, it just showcases Nomi, if, if, if she's willing to accept this, then she's willing to accept anything. And, you know, she's essentially, she would have lost her soul. So, you know, it's a device that he used, uh, in order to, you know, for her to, to, to reach this higher plane. And, and, and that is, you know, I think there's other ways he could have done that. Literally fridging. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to ask uh, before you have to sign off, um, we got to talk about the name of the documentary. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think I think having not seen the film and then seeing the film now, you know, the the title makes perfect sense. Right. <laughs> and, and you even kind of talk about it in, in your film where I think it's actually uh, Adam Damon talks mm-hmm. about kind of the 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 little cherry on top of using that as her name in the film. And, you know, I, I, I just am curious how long it kind of was, was this a simple thing or did it, did it take a while to kind of get there? Because, you know, as, as a lot of things that seem so simple, sometimes there's, there's a lot of, you know, indecision behind all of that. Right. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the title came kind of mid, Towards the end of editing, uh, but yeah, I, I so that that was one of the the, the points in Adam Naiman's book, and he will you know he won't take credit for for being the only person to talk about the the pun in Nomi's name. You know, he he <laughs> it's, it's a polyvalent pun, and so you know, no me, you know, no me or no me, and, and you know it, it could be kind of seen in in three different ways, and, and so I. It was just one of those things that I, you don't know me was something that um, I think it, it was just also part of the the, the lexicon that you know with this us queer people you know we will it, it we'll say it every once in a while you know when we're, when showgirls comes up and so 
but I, you know, it, it was never you, that term, that phrase was never used as, as, you know, a title for anything. And so, you know, after, you know, just kind of playing with a bunch of different things and, you know, I, I was out to dinner with, one night with friends and it was just, it, it clicked and, you know, my husband said it and, you know, and then I, I, I did, I kind of dismissed it at first. And then, you know, once I, once I started putting it in I was like, oh, this actually makes sense. It makes perfect sense because, you know, if, if you have an idea of showgirls, then, then, you know, then, then here, you know, you're going to hear, you know, all these different, different views on, on something that, that, that you might've thought you knew and, and, and you don't. And so, and maybe even at the end you still don't know you know you still don't know me but um but i thought it was just a great just great way to kind of incorporate her the name and um the process the journey i remember that her name sticking out to me on my first watch i was like know me you know because you can't know her and also there is no her and then there was another part of me was like it's so close and it sometimes it almost sounds like people are saying knew me Mm-hmm. And I was like, right, because she changed her name and she wanted to make a new me, so it was yeah. new me. And it was, it was, yeah, and it was actually Joe Esterhaus' wife's name was Naomi, so I think he kind of named it her after his wife too. So I'm sure she was thrilled. Take take, take that, that, take that, you know, for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Are I, there I any? It's... Oh, Michael, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. No, please. No, I'm letting you go. <laughs> I was just gonna say I think it's brilliant for Verhoeven too because so often his choices are brilliantly stupid. <laughs> there, you know, I think as I, I'm trying to remember what review this is from Adam, but he says Adam Neyman, but he says something along the lines of "It's so on the nose that it is the nose." <laughs> <laughs> so much of Verhoeven's filmmaking. So <laughs> I, I I also just thought that was perfect for a movie about his film. <laughs> nice. I'm curious if there are any other movies that have struck you this deeply that you could see yourself diving into in this way, or is this like it was this your Everest and you've climbed it? (laughs) Well, yeah, I I definitely want to keep doing things like this. Um, and I'll uh, kind of staying within the pop cultural landscape, I guess you could say, but, um, I don't know if the next thing would dive deep into another film, this by far has been, you know, one of the films that has been nearest and dearest throughout, you know, my life. And, you know, it was one of those things like the, the Jeffrey Conway where he had this kind of beautiful moment of like, well, what am I going to do? Just watch this movie for the rest of my life. Like I have to write about it. And, and <laughs> it was one of those, it, it felt, I felt very, you know, I, I understood that because, you know, here, you know, I love this film and, you know, I, I wanted to kind of explore it in the way that, you know, I, I, the, the, I wanted to have a conversation around it, like the type of conversations I w- would have with friends about it. And I think that that is, um, that was just great about this process. And so, yeah, I don't know if, um, I would focus on another movie, uh, next, but, you know, definitely kind of keep, keep the conversations about something else going. By the way, love the the level of commitment it takes to say, I'm not just going to write poetry about this movie. I'm going to write Sestinas, <laughs> oh. which are notoriously one of the most formally difficult poems <laughs> to write. It is. Yeah, it is amazing. If you, if you have a chance to to check them out, they he, he each chapter in the book is the 
the DVD, they said the name of the DVD chapter in Showgirls. So he titles it based on the DVD chapters. And then he basically finds different, these interesting ways to inhibit each scene, whether it's you're talking about the motifs in it or, you know, you're getting, he's literally like in one, the Versace scene, he literally gets inside and runs the inner monologues to everybody in the conference room during that, that particular moment where she mispronounces Versace. Um, and it's just it's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant take on it. And he's 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 yeah. First face. Um, <laughs> I still say that jokingly to friends whenever they like mispronounce a word. <laughs> it's this that's the staying power of this movie. It has those it, like no matter how crazy it is, no matter how Bananas, it may be. It, it's, it's, it sinks its splinters into your brain and you can never forget it. And it's, it's just crazy. Um, anyone else have any questions or statements they would like to make before we let our uh, esteemed guests go? I, I don't think so, but I'm just glad that we're having more conversations about showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> I am. It's this it, truly. I want to go back and listen to the podcast that I did on my now defunct uh, show about <laughs> showgirls. Cause like I watched it like two hours before recording and I feel like there are certain points where you could feel my madness going, <laughs> just being like, what did I just watch? How is this a real thing? <laughs> like okay. just someone saves her life after she was punching her car and then she throws french fries and screams different places when she just asks where she's from. Like, truly, truly magnificent. Um, anyway, um, Jeffrey McHale, thank you so much for joining us to talk about your film yes. and Showgirls. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'd thank you. Tr- truly lucky for you that you love Showgirls so much, because I imagine this would get exhausting otherwise. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, you have yourself a uh, great time. Hopefully, quarantine and everything has been bearable for you. <laughs> you know, bearable, this is a, yes. A strange time to be releasing a movie in. It is, yeah. But it, it's, it's. I think that that's, um, you know, one of the. It, it, it's funny because right, right when this all started, you know, I got a lot of messages on social. Um, literally, it was week one of lockdown. People saying, "Release this movie now." <laughs> <laughs> um, like it was almost like the demands and I was like, it's coming, it's coming, relax. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's a good, it's a good time to be, uh, to escape the horrors of, of reality and, and kind of dive into showgirls. So everyone can watch it on June 9th. Woo. Available. So thanks guys. Absolutely. Yep, Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Bill, I am so happy that you'd never seen Showgirls before. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, no, that, that's. I mean, honestly, like without this podcast, I wouldn't see half the films I do. So you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm a happy man. Uh, I think point. Erica was not so happy. She she yelled at Nomi about five different times at this at this film. She was like, "What the fuck is wrong with this woman?" I was just like, "I don't know. I've never seen this before." <laughs> <laughs> you can't blame me for this. <laughs> I have to say, uh, Emily's uh, two of her two of my favorite comments. Um, I mean, the first time there was nudity, there was full frontal nudity. Emily was like, 
oh, wow. And then, you know, by 10 minutes later, it's like every other scene, they're nude. So she didn't care. But the two things I love that she said is during the lap dance, by the end of it, Emily just goes, um, how'd she not pee a little doing that? (laughs) (laughs) And then the other, the other thing um, she said is uh, right after, um, Right after she sees her uh, rehearsing the first time, she goes, what is the matter with her? (laughs) Which which both seem like encapsulations of the entire movie. (laughs) I remember. So, so yeah, my first time watching show, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy watching it. And I just remember, and someone in, in this movie, uh, you don't know me says like, it's, it's as though it's written by someone who's never had sex before. Like, it's like a 13 year old's conception of what sex is. And that was my feeling watching it. I was like, there's no physical way these people, like, in these sex scenes are penetrating each other. And there's also no way that any of this feels good. It's just, it's so crazy that this is what is happening. And I was like, this is Paul Verhoeven. He's done a lot with sex before. I don't understand why this is how they chose to do this. Unless they're actively trying to make people repelled by the concept of physical intimacy. I, I think Esther has too. I mean, like his main like, to fame is erotic thrillers, yeah. which is amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. It's I, it's absolutely insane. To make an actual critical point about the absurdity of, I don't know, this time I was definitely struck. And I I recognize, you know, given what Verhoeven and what Esther, uh, sorry, Esther Asa said, uh, that this is very likely something I'm projecting. But I do find it significantly, uh, or I do find it uh, very... um, Curious that the scenes between women are far more radically charged than anything with mm-hmm. with men. Like it's you know I, I mean Gershon I I didn't get to say this on the call but I was I was thinking about this that you know there's a lot of people who feel like they've almost been forced into this film but you know someone like I, I feel like Gershon um, the guy who plays Al Robert Davy. And um, the the guy who plays Tony, Alan Rations, those are like three guys who are so comfortable in this milieu. Like there's nothing forced about their performance at all. They're just like so good at playing scumbags. <laughs> Get the ice. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell he's done it like hundreds of times. And I, I have to give him credit for giving that person an interior life that I don't at all want to know about. <laughs> interior life that's made of nothing but like spider webs and spoiled cabbage. <laughs> and I like, you know, again, I think, you know, we, we've talked about it already with uh, the director and everything. I think it's, you know, easy to say for me, like, I really enjoyed watching You Don't Know Me. I found it very, you know, like illuminating in ways, mainly in, in the personal stories that the the subjects bring. Um, I don't think any of the the information that I learned was new, but it is it is awesome to see a way of like seeing kind of personal essaying that is able to also write large some of the reasons that this movie stuck around and the reasons that it stuck around not only in popular culture but also my brain. <laughs> 
So yeah, I I I really liked You Don't Know Me, and I it it almost uh, it almost made me want to watch Showgirls again. I don't have the time to, and but I really thought like maybe I'll just skip the beach for like an extra three hours and watch Showgirls. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I thought that's what you were going to talk about um, <laughs> when you were telling him about about watching it uh, with with your family at the beach. I was yeah. like, oh, no, did, oh he, no, did he watch this with them? Like, no, no, I'm not about to watch. It's a, like, it, it, each week <sighs> is always weird for me. I think the first time I ever went to the beach with my family while I was doing the podcast, the movie that we talked about was Clown. If mm-hmm. anyone remembers that movie, it's a, the, the, yeah, cake, the comedy, the yeah, with the comedy. Yeah. And so I yes. watched that alone in my room, and everyone was like, "Oh, but it's a comedy, shouldn't we all watch it?" And I was like, "Look, guys, I don't know what this thing is going to be like." And a big part <laughs> of it smart. involves ejaculating on the wrong person, so uh, I feel like I made the right choice. <laughs> I feel like the only, and then everything else was like joke. <laughs> everything else was like hereditary. Uh, it comes at night. I think one year was Wonder Woman, and I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Like, because <laughs> yeah, usually the movies we talk about while I'm at the beach are like, "Let's just kill myself." <laughs> yep, yep. Oh boy, indeed. But so yeah, everyone else, did y'all? Did uh, Bill? I'm especially curious because you must have had such a quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy watching You Don't Know Me immediately after your first time ever watching Showgirls? Was it helpful yeah. to you? It was definitely helpful, and it was it was interesting to basically get a a 20-year breakdown of what's been happening with this film in the last 20 years, right? Like, like I've been not not avoiding kind of the conversations about it because you know i hadn't seen it but just simply not not paying a lot of attention to them and so this kind of gave me a, it it was almost like one of those uh i, I remember uh what what is this show it's it was so uh damn it i can't remember but it, it had like five or six seasons on like a on on fox and they did like a recap a five minute recap of the previous five seasons (laughs) and and it took five minutes and it was like what the fuck is this and so that was kind of how i felt i i felt like you know i i it luxuriates in in kind of telling its own story for sure, but it definitely felt like I was cramming for some kind of test. I was like, okay, I got I got to know everything about uh, showgirls in the next hour and a half. Here we go, let's do it. And so you know that's that's kind of how it felt, but um, I enjoyed it immensely. And you know, like I said, it, it was it was invaluable because after after seeing that film. I I just wanted to talk like I I mentioned it on on the Slack channel a couple of times like I hadn't seen this before please tell me I'm reading this right like why is this <laughs> just a shitty movie and then it was like oh no no yeah it's 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 a shitty movie and then watch it again and this is like oh okay all right I was, I was, and I was surprised by how much footage is in in the documentary so it felt like I was reliving it over again. So yeah, and and all the parts that I wanted to as well. Um, j- just seeing her say Versace again, uh, like multiple <laughs> times, was was just beautiful. 
Yeah, it, it is. I, I do like the the one other thing I realized that we didn't get to talk about uh, with with Jeffrey is, you know, it was it was interesting to kind of get that. Uh, I mean, it's not a coda in the film, but the the way they handle Elizabeth Berkeley and the you know pushing back a little bit on the idea that this you know as, as much as it was a, a pause in in her career, the fact that she got to you know, host the Hollywood Cemetery screening and everything. You know, that was kind of a, a bittersweet moment for, you know, a film that, you know, probably had not a great effect on her career for a while. No. Um, it's interesting. I'm pretty sure that I was listening to a podcast about Showgirls where someone actually talked about that Hollywood Forever um, screening where she was there. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting that people who, who, who love showgirls, uh, in a, in a certain way grow to like feel a uh, kind of affection and like protectiveness over Elizabeth Berkeley. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of its, one of its many, I can't even think of the right word. There's so many words that could possibly be used, but it is, it's one of those things where like, if you have an affection for this movie, you almost feel bad that it happened to someone. But it's also like, I, I, it's so difficult to even describe what I'm trying to say right now. It's, it's, Mm. I don't, I don't know, like, if there's any other thing except for, like, a camp failure that can make you feel that way. Because you're like, this person doesn't deserve, like, the crap they got for this movie being terrible, and I love it, and I love them more because of it. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's a very, it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of relationship to have with someone and their art. Cause usually when you, you really like someone's art and it means a lot to you, you can be like, Oh, I'm so happy they made this. But this is like, you have to sort of feel bad for her because you know what it actually did to her career. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting looking at her career. She still made a shit ton of stuff after this. Um, yeah. It, but, but yeah, it, it, you know, I, I mentioned it during during our interview. But I mean, her trajectory versus Gershon's trajectory are are completely different, you know. Um, and it's it's interesting to kind of see that where where Gershon kind of imp- it seemed to. I don't I don't want to put intelligence on it, but it seemed like she knew exactly what she was making. Um, yeah. way ahead of anybody else. And, you know, I, I've, I've gotten to sit down and, and talk with Gershon, uh, for some interviews and stuff like that. And, uh, she seems very hyper aware of, of what she is doing. Um, and so, you know, the, the fact that she's been in some camp films after this and stuff like that, um, kind of speaks speaks towards the fact that she she knew what she was getting herself into um whereas maybe berkeley was was not quite as aware or not not as adept at turning that kind of reaction into something that she could use right Mm -hmm. it it is fascinating to to speak to um i mean jeffrey pointed out that uh, berkeley's or, or no, I'm sorry. The documentary points out that you know Berkeley's career trajectory is, in a way, very parallel to Nomi's trajectory. And and like, if you want to bring that into it as well, you could also say that Kershawn, she is always in in a place of power right, in this movie. She's she's entirely bulletproof even when her leg breaks. She still gets the the final 
kind of her moment has gravitas as much as it's a sleazy moment. And like Bill, to specifically jump off what you were saying, I, I think it's really funny that so 95 is Showgirls, 96 is uh, Lana and um, oh geez, the Wachowski sisters abound, and then 97 is Face Off. <laughs> Yeah. So she is she like very much was fine with those roles that, you know, you know, that almost feel like she has to pinball back and forth between different tones. And, and you know, you have to have a self-awareness to do something like Killer Joe. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what I got to interview do. her for. Oh, and yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I got to interview just That's about amazing. everybody involved in that. But yeah, it was it was fascinating to see her kind of sweep into the room and and just she just kind of clapped her hands. and She was like, all right, guys, we got about 20 <laughs> minutes. Let's do this. And like she was just into it, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was fascinating to yeah see her career trajectory. I, I mean, I was I've been aware of Gershon for a long time and it was funny when she pops out of that volcano, I was like, I fucking recognize that woman. I I don't recognize her this young, but I recognize her. And then I was like, who is that? And, and it finally clicked. And I was like, ah, that movie. I was like, oh, wow. This, this was her. I, I can't believe like this was really her, her big kind of breakout moment. So yeah, Gina Gershon, when I first watched this movie, I was like, oh, she's the one who gets it. Like, she <laughs> she understands what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, oh, man. This Showgirls, we, we, we cannot let this become an episode purely about Showgirls because then it will go on for another three hours. Sure. <laughs> Maybe we can, and yet like... we somehow never talked about the pool. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, that's... So, so to me, that's you, sort you of talk like... About, you talk about the, uh, the palm tree lights <laughs> when Erica <laughs> saw that. First of all, like, oh, yeah. Uh, as far as, like... That is, like, the he can only sleep with women who have been in uh, Las Vegas for two days. <laughs> because I feel like that's the only point at which that level of neon in someone's backyard seems luxurious and awesome. But also... <laughs> I sort of was so talking 90s, about so I, 90s. I sort of was talking about uh, <sighs> the pool when I talked about like this anatomical impossibility of sex and how things must feel terrible. Like these are not <laughs> scenes designed by people who understand how the human body works and how physical intimacy works. It's there's just and he sex like just like comes ER. in pouring champagne and then just pours it on top of her and she's like i'm into it <laughs> yeah yeah no, and i think that it's it's things like this that that make showgirls kind of stick out in your mind and um because you can't say like oh someone did that because they thought it was dumb like in sharknado you know like you don't know entirely what anyone was thinking when they were making showgirls you might know what you think they or what they thought they were thinking you know, you might have concepts of what is going on, but you will never actually know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fascinating, too, that there's almost like a cottage industry for that midnight movie in the sense mm-hmm. that, like, you know, you have South by Southwest, you have Sunday. I mean, any festival like they are particularly trying to pick things that they think will have cult appeal. And there are so many movies that seem built on, you know, whether it's hor- if there's horrifying violence or, you know, this is super weird or, mm-hmm. you know, even going further and being like, 
this is a drug movie. <laughs> and and it's it's fascinating then. I mean, we've already mentioned it, but just the fact that that exists and so few of that, so few of those like ready-made cult movies, like, you know, like Mandy, I guess, was the last one that really mm. broke out. And we all had Cheddar our Goblin. Yes, Cheddar Goblin. But like, you know, that that again, like that still doesn't feel like showgirls. It still doesn't feel like, you know, auteur visions and like, I don't know. That whole thing is, is just fascinating to me. And it might be why I have such deep affection for this type of thing, just because when I came to it, but also the, the weird, like intangibility of this object that's been in my life for so long. (laughs) I think we're good. <laughs> we got one outrun the movie. The intangible. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. All right. So yeah, that's it. Uh, that is our interview with the director and our review and everything wrapped up together of "You Don't Know Me," the documentary about showgirls, as well as our thoughts on showgirls to an extent. There is still 100% a possibility that we may one day do a classic episode on showgirls. If we perhaps if we had been thinking more clearly, we would have tried to do that instead of California Split. We would have done Showgirls and then You Don't Know Me. Just a perfect back-to-back double punch <laughs> of doggy chow eating insanity. Um, let's, have you guys ever had dog chow? No, doggy I chow, have never dog eaten, food of any kind. I've never eaten dog food. All right, it's never occurred to me to do something like that. <laughs> There's a there's a Rugrats episode about like the kids thinking that like if they eat a dog like food they will become a dog but like even yeah even as delicious as it looks on commercials <laughs> the second you smell it I feel like you're not into it <laughs> um that's just my opinion I don't know Bill have you eaten dog chow I've never eaten dog chow I, I did uh, tell Erica the other day that uh, I I have eaten some fish food the the flaky stuff. I was like, I wonder what this tastes like. And uh didn't taste that bad. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. Uh so yeah, no, none of us have eaten pet food. No, I've had one one kibble before. Like mm-hmm. a, a circle before. I don't feel I'm like that dare. Counts. Don't feel How like... does that not count? Because you like, tasted it. You didn't like eat it, you know? Okay. No, I well. I had I had one of the pebbles. You had a single pebble. Okay, well, but if if someone is like, is like, have you ever eaten a spider? And you're like, yes, this one time I went to a foreign country and they fed me a a single fried spider. You can say, yes, I ate a spider. Okay, but I think that like, yeah. So you're suggesting that a a piece, a single piece of kibble is akin to eating one of the spider legs? No, no, I would say like one spider leg. Yes, Rokas. Yeah, no, I, cause here's the thing. My dog, her food has like three different pieces within it. You know? Huh? It's got like the life source bits and then it's got the circular thing, but it's got a little smaller blue thing in it that has like okay. extra vitamins and nutrients. <laughs> now, I don't know where the flavor dog is. Food. <laughs> it is. Lana gets nothing but the best. Um, let's, <laughs> let's wrap up. Uh, oh boy all right we are of course brought to you by movie 
a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Uh, don't forget that Mubi's new library feature allows you to watch all of the films that they have available. So make sure to check that out. And uh, of course, you can get a free 30-day trial by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage to get 30 days of fantastic cinema for free. And of course, you can go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. Helps us to put on these shows. Helps us support Michael Snydell during this hard, hard time in his life. <laughs> and uh, generally, it just makes us feel good to know that you people care. All right, so that is it uh, for today. Let's tell the fine people at home where you can be found between now and the next time. Let's start with Bill Graham. Woo! Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, and you can also find me mixing it up on the Slack channel. All right, Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell. Um, I... Oh, I'm also on Letterboxd. I am also on two podcasts, including this one. Uh, and I can say our next podcast, uh, next film stage show podcast, will be uh, Josephine Decker's uh, film Shirley with uh, guest Alyssa Wilkinson. And the next intermission um, will be out uh, very early this week. And uh, that will be Killing Them Softly with Roxana Haddadi. Um, and it was a little bit late, but Mirror with Logan Kenny should be uh, – that podcast should be available to Patreon um, subscribers by the time you hear, the, hear that. And I really enjoyed that conversation, and I thank Logan for talking uh, at, a, at a very raw time for him. Um, also, I am writing uh, about Becky for the spool this week, so uh, I will be posting on Twitter when that's out. All right. Uh, as for me, you can find all of my stuff at brianjrowan.com. Uh, you can find me online everywhere, uh, Instagram, Twitter, blah, 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 at brianjrowan. And, of course, you can find every episode of this podcast and all my writing stuff over at thefilmstage.com. Um, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time.